come together. Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. Yo, happy Tuesday. What's the word, Kansas City? My name is Hartzell. Tuesdays on this, your Casey Morning Show. Y'all know what we do. We take back America. Reclaiming our radical history from a left perspective. Left is best. On the show today, we had a whole thing planned. We had to pivot. We got some breaking news. Separation of church and state in public education just thrown out the goddamn window. And Professor Harvey K., you know, one of the foremost leading professors of Thomas Paine, FDR, the British Marxist historians. You know, it's stuff like this that we're about to talk about that is affecting our educators. They're leaving the education field because they have to teach lies or at the most lenient half-truths, right? And this is important because that guy, the governor of Florida, he's running for president. Ron DeSantis. What's Trump call him? Ron DeSantis. And what's going on, not just in Florida, but nationwide, worldwide, it is this reactionary shift, fundamentalism, pseudo-neo-authoritarianism, some folks call it fascism, that is the conservative movement. Fundamentalist, nationalistic, and what we're about to hit play on is just another part of that project. So on the show today, we take back America. My name's Hartzell. It is a good day to be a Kansas Cityan. Absolutely. We will see you in the morning. They are unanimous in their hate for me, and I welcome their hatred. The KC Morning Show. January 11, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report, close up the flood of 77. From the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, it's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Cityans must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riots? I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. Professor Harvey K., my brother. He is the Professor Emeritus from the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Every Tuesday, my friends, we have this radical project. It's to take back America, reclaiming the radical progressive history of these here United States. We got a hell of a playbook, Professor K and I. We think that maybe we should go back to that thing that is rooted in the real history of America. And I say all that, we've got another one of those breaking kind of episodes. We had planned, Professor K, we had planned, I think, on talking W.E.B. Du Bois. I think that was the the plan. We were going to do Du Bois' poetry tonight. (laughs) Oh, man. We had such high aspirations. But this is breaking news. It's coming in right off the presses. Yeah, well, a couple of weeks ago, we did the breaking news of Josh... Holly, he was lying during his 4th of July message. Right. So we had to come back because we had to set the record straight. Well, now they must have heard us down at PragerU because they decided, hell, we're going to go all out. We're going to literally infect 
Florida's public schools, as you'll soon hear, everybody. I do want to give credit to the Audit podcast produced by Lever News. They have spent weeks taking apart Prager University and warning America, you might say, as to the kinds of resources that PragerU has and the ways in which it has been infiltrating schools. And parents must watch out for this. As you'll see, PragerU, as it's called, set up by Dennis Prager, who was a longtime radio character. These guys are right-wingers. This is an ideological mill, you might say. They are producing, seemingly well-produced, in some cases rather clownish videos, but nevertheless, they are producing videos with some substantial production value in terms of its you know, color and so on. But they are producing a history and a politics and an economics for kids and young adults and adults, which is decidedly not, to use the Fox News expression, fair and balanced. It is literally a perversion of the American story in many cases doesn't get presented that way. They make it all very nice. But we'll try to give you some idea by watching a little bit of their stuff, give you some ideas to what's there and what is not there. And I can only speak for my personal algorithms, the one that affect my feeds and what pop up on my YouTube channels. I see this stuff all the time, Harvey. And yeah, their stuff can be a bit clownish and buffoonish, but it is admittedly well done well-produced and well-funded. This right-wing project, let's just be honest, they've got more resources than we do on the left. That's why we have taken this project, Professor K, to take back America right. to also counter some of this ahistorical, honestly, nonsense. This, this is the indoctrination and the grooming that they are saying is coming from the woke mob, that woke mind virus. This is the indoctrination School starts in a matter of months, my friends. Weeks. Sorry, we're going to take some <laughs> tangents. I'm afraid I can already feel it. Professor K, I'm sorry. No, back, no back let's make you. it clear to everyone. You and I are so outraged, we're probably going to trip over our own tongues, you know? <laughs> and I think it's important to realize that there was an effort to launch a counter to PragerU, the Gravel Institute. And they began to produce some really high quality video. And I, I will say that I have a, a particular interest in Gravel's. Well, their disappearance as well, because I did, to my mind, a really, and I urge people to go look for it on Gravel Institute, a really, I think, high-quality, well-argued, historical case for Franklin Roosevelt offering the most radical speech in American history, calling for an economic bill of rights back in 1944. And it also discusses what the implications, what would it mean to have an economic bill of rights? That was actually one of the last of the many videos they produced because they did not have the resources, apparently, that Prager was able to garner. Big corporations are probably funneling money into Prager even as we speak. There are no big corporations funneling money into efforts such as the Gravel Institute. You know, one of the things about progressive donors is they tend to give to needy causes as opposed to political causes that would take back America. And I'm talking not just progressive, I'm talking socialism. I'm talking about the broad swath of militant liberals, progressives, socialist radicals who really must find a way to unite and truly try to take back America. We are doing our little part in that effort. Shall we try to break some of this stuff down, Professor K? Yeah. Let's start with that breaking news. What do they call it? 
a parental alert from Prager. I thought when they said parental alert, they were warning us all that Florida is going to allow Prager content into the schools. That is, watch out. These people are out to screw you and your kids. But no, this is a parental alert to let people know, hey, we can push this stuff, this shit, into the schools. By the way, Jill Simonian, the director of outreach for PragerU Resources for Educators and Parents and PragerU Kids. She's a major player at PragerU. We are live on Facebook and YouTube, right, Cam? My technical guru, yes, he nods his head and he gives me all the instructions. Um, very thankful for Cam today. We have not been live in a very long time, and I'm excited to be here because we have wonderfully wild headlines to talk about today in the world of education. Cam, ask me about the big announcement for PragerU Kids. And he would say, what's the big announcement for PragerU Kids, Jill? And I would say, our big announcement for PragerU Kids is that, drum roll, PragerU Kids is now an approved curriculum in Florida schools. I'm applauding because this is so exciting for all of us on the PragerU Kids team. We are an officially approved curriculum to be used in schools in the state of Florida, across the state, should teachers, educators, administrators want to include our PragerU resources, our books, our educational magazines about historical figures, our shows about civics or history, or um, even our story time show that really establish a foundation of cultural literacy for our youngest students. If teachers in Florida want to use our PragerU kids materials, which are all free, they are able to and they will not be reprimanded there will not cannot be pushed back about it we are an approved curriculum in florida schools and more states are following very soon you can get all the updates and announcements in coming weeks subscribe for free and we will keep you updated when we will be an approved curriculum in a state near you but for now florida i'm applauding i'm applauding this is a step in the right direction look florida has been haunted by reactionary politics for a very long time under Governor DeSantis, it has become a decidedly a leading reactionary state. Governor DeSantis is a presidential candidate in the Republican Party, though it's not looking very good for him to win the nomination. I honestly don't believe he will win the nomination. But in the meantime, he's set up, what, a new state militia subject to his command, separate yeah. from the state National Guard, and state National Guard can be federalized by the president. Moreover, he targeted the supposedly elite, in fact, by definition, elite public liberal arts college in Florida, in Sarasota, Florida, new college, literally rewrote the guide for the college, changed the board of trustees for the college. They are clearly going out of their way to make it a campus that will promote trigger you kids' values, apparently. Look, all over that state, we find reactionary politics, undeniably. But now it's becoming this sort of leading force, it seems, so bad that Disney is literally shifting its next billion dollar investment from Florida to California. And I'm not necessarily a big fan of Disney. I personally have never been to Disneyland or Disney World. And it may seem rather nasty of me, but neither did I take my kids there. I refuse to take my kids there. But it remains the case that Disney is shifting its stuff from Florida to California. Look, it, it's a sad day in America when the fast-growing state of Florida has become just so reactionary. In fact, it's all the more bizarre 
because the more reactionary they become, the more they'll the more they'll suffer the consequences of denial, you know, climate denial, and the floods will come and the hurricanes will come. It's it's all perverse. Here I am tripping over my tongue, I can tell you. I'm just literally, I am outraged by what is taking place. Absolutely outraged. Let me make something clear before we move into this first video, short history of slavery that they're going to present. I want to make it clear, I do not endorse the 1619 project, the 1619 curriculum. I think it's much too one-dimensional. It's got some really serious historical errors in it. But these folks make it out as if the entire historical profession is literally one big 1619 project. They literally go out of their way to rationalize, literally seem to rationalize slavery in the colonial and founding era of the United States, as I think you'll see. Let's go. And now for a brief history of slavery. Let me pause real quick. If you're curious who this narrator is, this is Candace Owens. And Candace Owens claimed to fame she's a former liberal type. I'm not going to say leftist because that's not who she was. She was of the centrist liberal persuasion. Professor K, you can attest to this. This has been something that reactionaries love since forever, it seems like. They love taking that person who was of the left supposedly seen the light kind of thing. And that is the role that Candace Owens is playing. On top of that, she's a black woman. And let me just say this. Not all skin folk are kin folk. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> that is fabulous. I love it. <laughs> Slavery was not invented by white people. It did not start in 1619 when the first slaves came to Jamestown. It existed before then. It did not start in 1492 when Columbus discovered the New World. And let me make it clear, on neither the face, as I'm looking at this video, of Columbus nor his Spanish henchmen, or Italian henchmen, whatever they were on the ship with him, he himself was Italian, sailing on behalf of Spain. The fact is, they brought smallpox with them, and they did a hell of a job wiping out the native populations. Those they didn't enslave probably uh, were the ones who they wiped out with smallpox. The native Taino tribe hoped that he would help them defeat their aggressive neighbors, the Caribs. The Caribs enslaved the Taino and, on occasion, served them for dinner. Slavery existed in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. The word slave actually comes from the Slavs of Eastern Europe. Millions of them, all white by the way were captured and enslaved by Muslims in the 9th century and later by the Ottoman Turks. Slavery existed when the Roman Empire controlled the Mediterranean and most of Europe from the 1st through the 5th centuries. Slavery existed when Alexander the Great conquered Persia in the 4th century BC. It was so common that Aristotle simply considered it natural. Let me pause real quick. How about this, Candace? Maybe Aristotle was wrong. In fact, let's go better than that. You realize they're laying out the story of the ancient and medieval slavery regimes as a way that ultimately will say, well, so slavery existed in America. I mean, it's almost like they may not agree that I'm presenting it the right way, but it's as if it's a rationalization, a rationalization for slavery in the new world. As renowned historian John Steele Gordon notes from Time Immemorial, slaves were a major item of commerce as much as a third of the population of the ancient world was enslaved. Here's the second thing you need to know. 
white people were the first to formally put an end to slavery. In 1833. You know what? That, that's fascinating. So we've gone back thousands of years of slavery, and then we jumped quickly to the 19th century, completely ignoring the fact that whether or not I subscribe to the 1619 curriculum, and I don't, the fact is that slavery was a part of colonial America, North and especially South. And all of a sudden, we're going to jump from all that to 1833 when the British <laughs> put an end to slavery. I mean, that's a hell of a chronology. And as I was saying to you, no mention of the fact that in the American Revolution, the Declaration was issued, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all men are created equal. And the fact is that that presented a promise that inspired, it inspired black slaves in the North to petition for their freedom. It inspired whites to actually begin to form abolitionist societies. The point is, if they were smart in trying to present the argument they're presenting, they would have made use of the American story. In this one, they don't. I know we're going to get to their little video on the American Revolution. The contradictions become all the more evident. They're not good videos, okay? The production values may be good, but the content values are not. They completely ignore the ways in which black slaves in the South were fighting their own enslavement by running away, by staging small-scale acts of resistance, by rebelling in some cases. But white people were the first to formally put an end to slavery. Look, there's no need to absolve or accuse whole races of things, but at least tell the story in a way that makes sense. In 1833, Britain was the first country in the history of the world to pass a Slavery Abolition Act. They were quickly followed by France, who in 1848 abolished slavery in her many colonies. Then, of course, came the 13th Amendment in the United States Constitution. After centuries of human slavery, white men led the world in putting an end to the... Well, hold on. Again, you just mentioned it, but she goes straight to 1865. Doesn't make any mention that it was a war on the perpetuation of slavery specifically that of American slavery towards black folks. That includes the 300,000 Union soldiers, overwhelmingly white, who died during the Civil War. Pause, now, pause right now. The fact is that first hundreds, then thousands, then tens of thousands of slaves made a point of running away from their plantations, heading to the Union lines and seeking to support the Union cause. By the end of the Civil War, it's not unlikely that a quarter of a million African Americans served the Union cause. This is an interesting thing where she's the black woman literally absolving whites, every white practically, of any kind of criminal act against African Americans by over, over, over emphasizing how good white people were in these many cases. Harvey, that is because that is her role. She is employed by Ben Shapiro. This is that Daily Wire right-wing ecosystem. And she has a role to play. And she is playing her role. Right. Sure sounds like that's what she's doing. Am I doing. saying that this makes white people better than anyone else? Of course not. My purpose here is to simply tell the truth. And the truth is that human history is complicated. No one regardless of skin color, stands guiltless. 
We are never told to consider the murderous Persian Empire or the cannibalism of indigenous tribes of North and South America or the heinous actions under the imperialistic Muslim, Chinese, Mongol, or Japanese empires, to name just a few. Instead, we're told that slavery is a white phenomenon. I have to say that, where does she come up with that as a fact, as a truth statement? This lie spawns a bunch of other lies. On social media, I come across extraordinary depictions about how Africans lived like pharaohs before Europeans came and laid waste to their paradise. I wish any of this were true, but it's not. It's a fantasy. I think she's been watching too many Hollywood movies. Africans were sold into slavery by other black Africans, and in many cases, sold for items as trivial as gin and mirrors. The stark reality is that our lives had very little value to our ancestors. Here's the third thing you need to know. If you think slavery is a relic of the past, you're wrong. There are some 700,000 slaves in Africa today, right now. Pausing it real quick. See, that's, that's another tool that they use. They say these half-truths, and then they do a pivot to deflect I was going to say misinterpret, but it's more malicious than that. She's talking about slavery in all these countries. Of course, no one condones that, but she completely glosses over any account on the geopolitical anything. At the same time, my mind itself segues on the one hand to the debt bondage that so many young people are suffering in this country. It's not slavery, but it's a kind of debt bondage, it seems. On the one hand, the numbers of folks predominantly, in too many cases, African-Americans who are enslaved by our prison system. I mean, it, whew, keep going. And if Black Americans began to view themselves as partners in the American dream, if we embraced the patriotic spirit that holds all men are created equal, the patriotic spirit that is our real heritage, then the race hustlers would soon be out of business. And who wants that? Which, Which I, I think, think is so hilarious because she is exactly what she's saying is wrong. She is the race baiter. She just made an argument that it's black folks' fault for not right. feeling, I mean. Tell that to all the black folks who've been serving in the military, okay? That's for a start. Outrageous, okay? Just outrageous. The kinds of BS that she's propagating here. So imagine this will be shown in a school. And then the little white kids will turn to the black kids and say, yeah, how come you're not more patriotic? Let's move on. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> yes, bite my tongue. Let's move on. The next video in what could be the future of history curriculum in Florida, this one is entitled History, American Revolution Part 1. By the way, this seems to be a series of things they do called TBH, and I don't know if they're claiming it's the best history, the to-be-honest history, or the bullshit history. <laughs> look at this photograph. What do you see? From this perspective, it looks dark and depressing. But look what happens when we zoom out. A very different picture emerges. For those at home, it's a picture of a thunderstorm. There you go. A lot of people treat American history like this photograph. They zoom in on one particular part and build a fancy frame around it. This one piece is what American history is all about. I wish people could see the idiocy that's being displayed right now on the screen. They got guys here dressed up. They got wigs on. You get it. 
but you will miss out on seeing the whole picture if you only focus on one small part. Or in other words, you need accurate perspective to make accurate conclusions. History shows us that America is different from other countries. Not perfect, but different in a really good way. Pausing. Sorry. This is just a new way to frame an American exceptionalist, an American century type argument. But it's for kids. That's what this is. Yeah, as you know, as you know, I have an argument, a left argument for American exceptionalism. But what it has to do with is the radical story of America, the radical tradition, the struggles of folks in all their American diversity to try to secure the American promise. This is one of those things, well, you know, it's different, not perfect or whatever you're saying, but it's different and actually rather, rather good, you know? <laughs> I mean, not even using hyperbole. We should be careful. We don't want to accuse him of that because he's not quite there yet. But it's easy to take awesome things for granted until they're- Oh wait, awesome things. Sorry, I take it back. You can't get more hyperbolic than awesome, right? <laughs> Go ahead. And an amazing country that provides liberty and equality for all people. What's the big deal with that? Notice, well, you can't see this, but the person that says, well, what's the big deal? This sounds great. It's the uh, black guy coincidence i'm sure the founders of america revolutionized the world by making a giant leap toward an ideal that all people have equal rights from god that all men are created equal and should be free to pursue life without the government's control there's your ideological thing just starkly okay no the declaration of independence basically said that government should be the government of the people or as Lincoln later said, of the people, by the people, for the people. Not that government is necessarily the enemy, but rather that government must be a democratic government, small d, democratic. And notice how he used the capital G, God. In this case, we're talking about a Judeo-Christian God. He didn't use the word creator. He's very much right. saying that the creator is his creator as told by the bible they really make this point about judeo-christian and look there's no doubt about the presence i mean the 13 colonies were predominantly christian populated but there were also jewish populations there were diverse christian populations as well as native american peoples and religious beliefs that slaves brought with them to the new world but here's the thing okay here's the thing as you and i have said before and said on this show the founders were indeed a mix of Christians and deists. The leading founders, Payne to begin with, Jefferson, Franklin, and moreover Washington, were deists, not traditional Christians. They believe in God, as you said, God the creator, but not God that interfered in people's lives. Okay, a providential God, admittedly, but decidedly not these men were not trinitarian christians washington attended churches but these folks were nominally anglican in the case of Payne, he really was a militant deist but the point is they just want to repeat over and over again judeo-christian and i think it comes up again here listen up but in order to appreciate the leap that the founders made we need to look at what life looked like before the revolution and what ultimately led up to it. Today, we're zooming out to take an honest look at man's struggle for freedom and how the American Revolution came to be. The American Revolution didn't happen overnight. It was the culmination of centuries of debate and struggle. Ah! 
Many rulers throughout history believed they had divine power over their people, allowing them to do almost anything that they wanted, like take their property and throw them in prison. But the founders of America didn't really buy this mentality. Very sauce, bro. People can't see it, but this is idiocy, pure idiocy that they're projecting right now. The imagery, the actors dressed up like fools, just crazy. Most of them drew their opinions on the role of government from principles found in the Bible. How do we know? No, well, they, they did them. not. They did not. There were diverse sources for their opinions of government. But let's make it very clear. Thomas Paine, in Common Sense, laid out at the very outset of Common Sense, a democratic perspective. That democratic perspective was, in some ways, original in its own fashion. It was not the Bible. Believe me, it was not the Bible. I have no idea where they're getting this history from. Yeah, sure, the evangelical Christians among the founders may have thought that, but I don't even know what I don't even know what they're talking about when it comes to biblical conceptions of government. And the government that they would set up would be deeply influenced by these Christian beliefs. They believed in the value of individuals because they believed individuals were made in the image of God. Wait a second. I Can I just stop for a moment? Please remember these Christian folks were the very same folks who in different places pursued the Inquisition. In other places, they pursued the execution of people they accused of being witches. Come on. They were persecuting their own fellow Christians up in New England. The Baptists were being persecuted by the Congregationalists. I don't know where they come up with this idealistic notion of Christian beliefs forming the basis for the American government. And you know what's really strange? It's really remarkable. They first talked Judeo-Christian. And then they narrowed it to Christian. Even on their own terms, they're not sticking to their story. Go ahead. As seen in Genesis. And because individuals are made in the image of God, they have God-given rights that should be protected by the government, as found in the book of Proverbs, in the epistles of Romans, and 1 Peter. Harvey is First Peter or Romans or whatever books, chapters, I don't know what you call them. Is any of that found in the Declaration or the Constitution? Is John 3.16... Let us be clear. First of all, the Declaration's only reference to God is a very interesting one. Nature's God, the Creator. Number two, and this is significant, is that the Constitution is godless. Godless. There is no reference to God. There is no requirement for religious tests for citizenship. There is no requirement of religious oaths to run for government. The fact is that they are projecting onto that past. Oh, by the way, a lot of people may have been Christians, but they weren't all even members of churches at the time he's referring to. Let's be clear about that. AKA government leaders couldn't just do whatever the heck they wanted with a divine card they pull out of thin air. Although most of the world did not practice these biblical principles, they gave people an ideal to strive for. The founders weren't the first ones to attempt to implement these principles in government. Throughout history, most people lived under a king or an emperor. Basically, a big boss man that calls all the shots. None of this voting and representative democracy stuff. Heavy government oppression was the norm. But these biblical principles sprouted in England all the way back in 1215. The king at the time, King John, was oppressive and threw burdensome taxes on the barons, or landowners, in his realm. So the barons banded together against him and drafted a document that basically said, You can't just throw us in jail and do whatever you want and stuff. That document is what we call the Magna Carta. Let me pause it real quick. What say you on their lead up to the Magna Carta? Did they get that right, wrong? 
the barons that were rebelling against King John. But believe me, the peasants took a beating all the time from the barons, okay? There's no reference in any of this to the degree to which working people, whether they were peasants or slaves or artisans, rose up against lords and barons and bishops and others. They don't do what you and I believe is essential to take back America, to tell the story with a bottom-up perspective, the story of democratic struggles, of aspirations for freedom. They're talking about the barons of, you know, in 1215 seeking the Magna Carta, the charter, right? I mean, we make a great deal of that, okay? I think there's even a copy of the Magna Carta granted to the United States that sits in the National Archives. All well and good as a precedent. But how about the peasant rising of 1381? How about other peasant risings that occurred? How about the fact that those Englishmen who came to America for all of their sins and everything else, one of the things that they were very good at doing was staging street protests, crowd actions, basically to demand their rights first as Englishmen, and then after reading Thomas Paine's Common Sense, their understanding that they are Americans and there are such things as human rights. No mention of any of that. It changed the world by showing people that you can actually stand up for the rights of people against an oppressive government and make a change, ultimately, for the better. But before we move on, let's zoom out. Now, you may be asking, what about all the people that weren't barons? And how could the Magna Carta be any good if it only protected barons? Well, remember the principle of zooming out? Let's put that to work. While it is true that the Magna Carta didn't protect everyone's rights, it began the long struggle in the West to limit the powers of the king and protect the rights of people. So when we zoom out historically, we see that although the Magna Carta wasn't perfect, it did push the world further toward equality and liberty. Well, I just got to pause it again. You know, you touched on this. We approach history, especially our progressive one, from a bottom-up approach. And their entire project is to take the micro out of that. Well, hey, if you just keep backing this thing up, you'll see that, you know, we're really on the right side of this thing. Just, hey, keep zooming out. One more time. Keep zooming yeah, how about this? 1215. Then we go to 1315, 1415, 1515, 16, 15, 17, 50, 50. I mean, I mean, so let's say, what if I hit six or seven? I mean, how many centuries did I just count on? Six or seven. Fast forward a few hundred years, and when colonists from England began establishing settlements in North America, their constitutions included many of the rights found in the Magna Carta. And even though the colonies were under the British crown, they governed themselves and enjoyed more freedom than anywhere else in the world. By the way, that is true as long as you were one of these white men. All of a sudden, we've skipped over the fact that slavery does enter into this picture after they made such a point of talking about centuries of slavery. Unfortunately for the colonists, he and British Parliament acted like the oppressive King John back in the 1200s. Instead of respecting their rights, which had been acknowledged for centuries, he took away their right to govern themselves and ignore the promises made by King James I. In the 1760s, the British government made laws forcing the colonists to pay taxes on sugar, newspapers, glass, lead, paint, paper, and tea. I ran out of fingers, okay. Since everyone needed to use these items in their homes, the taxes made life harder for many colonists and took money that they worked hard to earn. But what was even more important than the cost of the tax... By the way, did you notice that? People can't see it. You and I could see it. In that video, there was a black man in a red coat uniform, which might have been possible, but it's not exactly 
It's not exactly a characteristic of the British Army at that point. <laughs> I didn't know that the British Army was so woke. <laughs> if the government could ignore one of the rights listed in the colonial constitutions, it could ignore all of them. It could take away their possessions, their homes, and even throw them in prison without a good reason. And this might seem kind of ridiculous, but it wasn't really abnormal for kings to do. The colonists now faced the same problem as the barons in 1215. The seeds of freedom that had sprouted with the Magna Carta were now being uprooted by King George III. You know, what's interesting is there was the idea of a freeborn Englishman that the English brought with them, but it was the rights of the freeborn Englishman that had been struggled for through those centuries. The right to pick up and move, the right to treat your home as if it was a castle. That is undeniably a heritage of England. But it's the case, it's the case. They didn't see themselves comparable to, as you're saying, as you're noting, to barons. They saw themselves as having the rights of freeborn Englishmen that were being denied. But that alone did not make a revolution. They were fighting to defend those rights. Let's see if they introduce Thomas Paine or not. I have a feeling they do not. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. They felt the British government was wrong, but they also understood that it would be risky to say so out loud. King George is the one. Speaking out against the king would be considered heresy, something that kings usually aren't a huge fan of. Never mind. <laughs> But in spite of the risks, the colonists began to make their voices heard by protesting against the government and boycotting British companies. I'm not buying that tea. <laughs> Harvey, in media, they say that sometimes less is more when it comes to these cutscenes in this, I don't even know, Saturday morning cartoon sketch that we have. Less yeah. is more, probably. With all due respect to Alexander Hamilton, the uh, Broadway show, what are little kids going to think when they see the black guy in the red coat uniform? That's all. Many of the founders were against the oppressive British policies, but also rejected lawless violence, even if it came from their own fellow colonists. They wanted a peaceful country where everyone respected the law and was treated equally. But as King George III cracked down more and more, the chance for a peaceful solution seemed to be slipping away. In 1774, Britain tightened its control to intimidate the Americans and took away the right of the people of Massachusetts to govern themselves. <coughs> the leaders of the other colonies realized that if the British government could impose tyranny over Massachusetts, it could do so across all of North America. Delegates from 12 of the colonies met in Philadelphia in 1774, and delegates from 13 colonies met in 1775, calling themselves the Continental Congress, and tried to figure out what to do. Members included Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson, just to name Notice them. three of the four of those were deists, by the way. They sent petitions to King George begging him to respect their rights, but these were rejected and met with the might of the British military. This convinced many Americans they had no other choice but to defend their rights by preparing for war. That war began when British troops shot and killed colonists at Lexington, Massachusetts on April 19th. 1775. And it was this shot, heard round the world, as some people say, that brought the Revolutionary War into full swing. But the Americans no, needed a leader. No, wait, wait. For the record, okay, it's still a rebellion. It's not a revolutionary war. Even with the military in the field led by Washington soon enough, it was not a revolution. They were still not fighting for independence and the making of a democratic republic. Let's be clear about that. 
In June of 1775, John Adams nominated George Washington of Virginia to command the Continental Army. Hmm. On Washington's shoulders rested the fate of his country. He would later write, our cause is noble. It is the cause of mankind. That was just a plagiarism, by the way. <laughs> Payne wrote in common sense, the cause of America is the cause of all mankind. Just for the record. Yeah. Let's see if common sense appears. Let's just see. The seed of freedom and equality would survive in the world only if the American effort succeeded. In January of 1776... What was the American effort? So at that point, there is no... Then Americans didn't know what they were fighting for other than their own rights as Englishmen. They're missing the point here. Go ahead. Thomas Paine published Common Sense. Uh -huh. It electrified the colonies and convinced many Americans that the only way they could live free of tyranny was to declare full independence from Great Britain. They won't note the fact that he called for a democratic republic. They won't note his insistence on separation of church and state. They won't tell us that. I'll put money on it. On July 4th, 1776, the Second they Continental didn't. Congress did just <laughs> that, adopting a document that declared them to be their own independent country, the United States of America. You may have heard of that document, the Declaration of Independence, and those famous five words, all men are created equal. Although it was a monumental step, to many, this Declaration of Independence felt more like a death certificate considering it was an act of treason against the most powerful empire on Earth. It took real courage. It wasn't like posting on, on Facebook. America is the worst. You are so brave. You are a hero. I gotta pause it. This is another instance of, you know, owning the libs. The millennial Gen Z ass who apparently does nothing but we call it posting on the internet, Harvey. That's what that yeah. is. So we know we know what they're doing. Oh yeah. They were all very aware it could cost them their lives, or as they put it, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. But ultimately, they believed it was worth it because they were inspired by a conviction that the world could truly be a better place, that the long history of brutal kings and tyrants could come to an end, and that men and women could be free to pursue life as God intended it to be. I gotta pause it there. I'm just so shocked that they would not even mention the first line of the declaration. Is it because if you actually dissect that, you realize that the pursuit of happiness is endowed unto us? It ain't a suggestion. It's ours. Obviously, they were imperfect men. Obviously, here we go. Up to this ideal themselves. <laughs> but when we zoom out, we see that they were determined to push the world further than it had ever been toward making this ideal a reality. And that's exactly what they did. And the question quickly became, how much would this Declaration of Independence cost them? And were they truly prepared to pay the price? Was it really worth it? We'll find that out in the next episode. Harvey K on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being they nailed it. 1 being, what the hell, science fiction, I guess. I'm tempted to say I'd give this a, a 2, but I want to make it clear. Only value in this is they did mention Thomas Paine. That's it. Okay. They didn't even drop the actual quote. Right. They didn't use the best quote of all. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. Y'all, this is who we're up against. And they are well-funded. They are malicious. They're reactionary. They're fundamentalist. And by the way, we will then do episode two. And we will also look at a, another video of theirs removed from history in which they are going to teach kids all the different ways that they might get paid when they go out to work. 
They might get commissions, they might get wages, they might get salaries. And in any case, they celebrate the wage relationship. I mean, look at some of the titles on this. Would you house illegal immigrants in your home? They've got somebody explaining the book of Job. Oh, there, there it is. It's called How Are You Getting Paid? That's the one we'll look at. I love this one. How the left destroyed our country or America or something. And then look at this one. How progressive prosecutors destroy minority communities. The tragedy is this is too easy, what we're doing. They don't give us a run for our money on this. But the problem is, who's going to push back? If you're in the state of Florida, I honestly think that some of these folks, some of these educators, they're terrified. And it's just, yes. again, it shows yeah. how much we're up against. Literally how much, I mean, dollars and cents. Yeah. Harvey K, we got to do a breaking episode with better circumstances. I swear we got some good news to break sometime, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Harvey K, my brother, where, where can these folks <laughs> find you on the internet? After what we just did, I don't know if they want to find us, but I'm at Harvey JK, H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J-K-A-Y-E on Twitter. I'm hanging in there. As I've told you, every day my Twitter follower numbers seem to be in decline, and I hold Elon Musk accountable. He doesn't care how he spends a billion dollars, does he? How he runs a place down, I'll tell you. It's ridiculous. People are leaving Twitter. It's just in droves. It was a fascinating place, however ugly it could be at times, however, whatever, but not what it was. A hive of scum and villainy, to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi. You can find uh, me at Hartzell965. You can get the show, The KC Morning Show, at KC Morning Show on Twitter, The KC Morning Show on Instagram. If we come back next week and have not done the other part, it's because you're right. We could not stomach any more of it. You know, I used to think to myself that the audit podcast, which was really going in depth on these things, was becoming grosser and grosser and grosser. And I thought, they're missing some key things. But now, doing it ourselves, I'll tell you, it's a chore. Exhausting. And we do it so others don't have to. Professor K, my brother, we're going to close with this. I stole this from you, but you know what? I'm going to put it on a shirt. Solidarity is hot and unions are cool. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. That would make a great t-shirt, by the way. Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe. Rosenberg's H-Bomb, Sugar Ray, Pan Munjong, Randall, The King and I, and The Catcher in the Right, Eisenhower Vaccine, England's got a new queen, Marciano.